driving me crazy. Right in the view is going to drive me crazy. I'd be looking at that sign instead of my friend. Hi, guys. How are you today? You're all okay? Good to see you. Hey, if you're new or newer at Grace, uh, we would like to know that you're here. and We'd like to reach out to you. Uh, you can text hello to the number that's on your screen, hopefully. That'll pop up in just a minute. And just it's pretty simple. Text hello. Any second now. It's going to change. There it is. Thank you. Text hello to the 395 number. We'll get back to you. If you're uh, sitting in here, there's little cards in the back of your seat that says, I'm new. Um, you can fill that out and then drop it in the, at the information counter, and we'll get back to you as well. We just want to help you to navigate Grace and just tell you a little about who we are. So uh, somebody will probably call you this week if you uh, do either of those two things. Wanted to let you know. Uh, thank you. You guys are always uh, blow me away with your generosity. Last week, I said that we would match $5,000 for... Uh, the Pinar uh, toy drive that we're doing for Children's Hospital. And by Friday, we were at the $5,000 mark. So well done. Um, very cool. Uh, we will be taking toys. You can still bring them in, even though we're past the 5000 in the match. Um, you can bring in toys uh, for the next couple of weeks. I think it'll be mid-February when we deliver all those toys to Children's Hospital. Um, but we would love for you to keep bringing them in. You can bring them on Sundays. There's a, a toy box by the main entrance, the family entrance. If you come during the week, you can just drop them in the toy box and we'll bring them in and put them on the table. Okay? You guys need to do jumping jacks or something? Okay? <laughs> all right. We, we are a talking back sort of church, so feel free. Um, we're going to jump into Hosea. Uh, I want to remind you before we get into Hosea of the six big six that I talked about last week. And I, what I'd love for you to do is have these written down somewhere so that you can uh, use them as you're st- looking at the minor prophets. But the first one is God is sovereign, right? God is sovereign. Nothing happens outside of God's ordained will. Uh, it is God's desire, and God is in charge of, of everything, every atom, every, every event. God is sovereign. We're going to see that throughout the prophets, that God hates sin. Sin matters to God, uh, is number two. God loves and expects his people to be about justice, uh, that God abounds in steadfast love. Um, this is, we're going to see this over and over. Uh, we're going to see God hates sin in our talk today. Uh, God is calling us to return to him. We're going to see that a lot today as well. And that Jesus is coming. In the case of the minor prophets, they're often talking about the first coming of Jesus. They also talk about the second coming, but we'll see those happening all the way through. I hope that you've decided to jump in and read uh, through the minor prophets with me. Um, but I think it's going to be a great uh, eight weeks as we do this. Uh, I had breakfast with my friend who the sign was going to be in front of this week, and he told me that he journaled through all the books of the Bible a few years ago, and uh, some of the richest journaling and most journaling he did was when he got to the Minor Prophets, just to say there is a lot of really good stuff for us in the Minor Prophets. One more reminder, we decided that it's very possible, as you're reading the Minor Prophets, that you may have a question along the way. I know I do. Um, And so we decided to make an email where you could just ask us Uh, whatever you run across. So if there's something that doesn't make sense, or even if you have an epiphany, or God says something to you, I would love to hear that. So it's just very simple. Ask us at gracewired.com. We would just love to get your questions. You can ask questions not about the minor prophets, and I've already gotten an email or two about those, but the main purpose was to ask questions about the minor prophets. So if you want to know, like, where I got my glasses, I can let you know, but that wasn't the intent. Anyway, grab your Bibles, turn to the really clean pages, 
in the back of your Bible, uh, Old Testament book of Hosea. Uh, if you want, I'm just going to give you just a little bit of background. Hosea's ministry is primary, primarily to the northern kingdom, the northern kingdom. You may recall that uh, after the death of King Solomon, Israel split into to two kingdoms. We had the southern kingdom, which was the tribes of J- Judah, Benjamin, and Levi, and that became known as Judah. And then the remaining 10 tribes uh, became known as the northern kingdom. And this book is Hosea writing to that particular group. He will reference Judah, but he is mainly prophesying to that group. And the interesting thing is, and this will make it easier for you to read if you go back and read it, um, but they, it's called, the, this group of people are called Israel, right? And they're also called, um, sorry, Israel, uh, if, Ephraim and also Jacob. So you'll see all three of those back and forth. So when you're reading it, it feels like he's now he's talking about Jacob. Now he's talking about Ephraim. Now he's talking about Israel. He's talking about the same people group, the northern kingdom. A little bit more history for you. If you want it, you can find that in 2 Kings chapters 14 through 17. So if you want to kind of get the historical background, who's king at the time, what they're doing, that would be some good extracurricular reading for you. I want to kind of hit on a little side note because it fits to these major six uh, things that we're seeing in the prophets. But but if you were here last week, one of the things we really landed on was the second of the big six, that sin matters to God. Sin always brings about chaos, or said differently, sin never reaps a profit, but always has a cost. Sin never reaps a profit, but always has a cost. You can experience forgiveness. You can experience God's redemption in, in, in the things that have happened to you, but there is always a cost. There is always fallout from the sinful decisions. And I say all this because this catastrophic split between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom is really, for the most part, the result of Solomon's sin. As a matter of fact, as you're reading through the Minor Prophets, they'll talk about all of this idolatry that's going on. And a lot of that idolatry, not all of it, but a lot of that idolatry came into the, to the land because Solomon took all these wives. And he went against the, the laws of God, took all these foreign wives. And what came with the foreign wives were foreign religions, foreign faiths. And, and they brought all these customs and ways of, of believing. And so here we are 200 years later and Hosea is calling to them to turn away from their other gods, to turn away from the fruit of Solomon's sin 200 years earlier. What I want you to hear is sin always, always has a cost. Right, And what has happened is the people have fallen into this thing called synchronism. Synchronism is the idea of taking uh, two different faiths and, and blending them together. And whenever I talk about this, I'm always aware that we are guilty of this as well. It's a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of your horoscope. Right? It's a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of luck or a little bit of karma. Or we take all kinds of world religions and we somehow blend them in without even thinking about it. We, we fall into this trap of synchronistic thinking. And the people have fallen into it. And, and it's a little bit of Yahweh and a little a bit of Baal, which is the, one of the gods that they're worshiping. It's, it's worshiping in the temple, but still going to the high places. So you're going to see this over and over and over. Okay, Hosea. Here's what's probably going to surprise most of you, but Hosea is in fact a love story of epic proportion. It is a story full of drama and betrayal and undying love and devotion. 
And one of the things that makes this story unique in the prophets is it's both, uh, it's, it's actually two love stories. It's a love story between Jose and his wife, and it's a love story between God and his people. The first, Jose and Gomer, a very unfortunate name for sure. Anyway, Jose and Gomer, there's meant to be a, 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 mirror, a mirror or an illustration of God's love for us. But here's what I want you to know. This is not just an allegory. This is not just a story that's told. This is a historical fact. There really was a Hosea. There really was an unfortunately named person, Gomer. They really were in love and they really did have children. So I wanted you to, to hold on to that. So hopefully you found the book of Hosea by now as I gave you all that background. But look at chapter 1, verse 2. Chapter 1, verse 2. And honestly, this is where the story gets weird. Right? This is where the story, you kind of scratch your head and you're like, really, this is in the Bible? Right? It's, it's a strange story. and We just need to own that. So what does it say? It says, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. This is a fascinating way to start a love story, wouldn't you agree? Why would God tell a man of God, one of his chosen people, to go and and take a a woman of whoredom, right? It seems to go against all of God's ways. It goes against God's written law, right? But but what we need to understand is is what do these descriptions really mean? What is is this really saying to us? And one of the things that is important for us to understand is this is kind of how all of the people of Israel, especially the northern kingdom, were described at this kind. They were considered an adulterous generation. They were considered a rebellious people, right? God sometimes talks about you are a stiff-necked people. There's ways of describing a people group. So uh, whether he, and, and if you look at the passage, it says a wife of order, who are children of whoredom. He's saying, this is who the people are. So it's very possible what God is saying is, go take a woman from the northern kingdom to be your wife. It's also important to understand that Hosea is writing after the events have taken place. This is sort of a, a memoir or, or, or part of his life story, and he's writing all these things down. And, and when you read this in the, in the original Hebrew, it could very well be interpreted, take for yourself a woman who is predisposed to being unfaithful. In other words, what I want you to hear is this may not have been the case when they were married. But regardless, we know from the story that she does end up betraying Hosea and betraying her her husband. So I say all this because what I want you to see is that it's very likely that their relationship began somewhat normal. That Jose and Gomer were happy that they shared this mutual affection. And in the process, she bore him three children, whose names are even more unfortunate than hers. But we'll talk about that in just a second. Right? I, I keep thinking this morning, even between us, I think their life in elementary school must have been horrid. <laughs> Careful what you name your kids. Anyway, first of the three kids, there was a son named Jezreel. Jezreel is a famous place. It is a valley where lots of famous battles have taken place. And God says, name, or Hosea names his first child Hosea because there is going to be a great battle in the valley of Jezreel. And what we know is the Assyrian army eventually comes and basically wipes out the armies of the northern kingdom in the valley of Jezreel. So it's a prophetic word. All of the kids are given a name that becomes part of the prophecy of what's going to happen. And then they have a daughter, and the daughter's name is No Mercy 
because God is going to punish the people for their wicked ways and they're going to receive no mercy. And then the third child, the son, not my people, because God has turned from the people. God says, I am not your God and you are not my people. It's a prophecy of judgment and it's come through the names of Hosea's children. One of the things I read this week that I thought was fascinating is that it was common practice in those days for the prophets to name their kids after prophecy. When I read that, I was like, I am glad I am not a son of a prophet. That would not be good. But anyway, all right. So he names them after these, he names them, gives this prophecy. And then right after that, and I want you to see this because it's so important. In this opening chapter, in chapter one, right after that, there is this major shift. And you're going to see this over and over in Hosea, but you're also going to see it as you study the minor prophets. There is this tension at work, kind of a tension in the cosmos between God and man. So what you're going to see is you're going to see God's judgment, and then you're going to see God's mercy. You're going to see God's warnings, and then you're going to see hope. You're going to see God's judgment, and then you're going to see God's compassion. You're going to see God's anger, and at the same time, you're going to see God's steadfast, kissed, as we talk about, undying love. So look at verses 10 and 11. Opening chapter, verses 10 and 11. Remember, we just heard, heard the, the, the armies are going to come and wipe them out in Jezreel. We just heard that God is going to show no mercy. We just heard that, that you are no longer my people. And then all of a sudden, right in the middle of all of that doom and despair, Look at what it says in verse 10. Yet the Israelites will be like sand of the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they would be called the children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel, that's the two tribes, will come together and they will appoint one leader and they will come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. This is one of our big six messages. This is Jesus is coming, right? This is a messianic prophecy that Jesus is going to come and that he's going to restore the the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. He's going to bring the people back together. This is Abraham's covenant with God, that, that the people will be more than the sands of the sea, the stars of the heavens, so many that they can't be counted. We... Grace Community Church, we, anyone who's put their faith in Jesus, are recipients of this messianic prophecy. The scriptures say we are grafted in, right? We are adopted sons and daughters. Salvation is from the Jews. Salvation is for the Jews, but it's for all of us as well. We are united under one king, King Jesus. Amen? Chapter 2 is this beautiful poetic narrative. Suddenly he goes from telling a story to, to writing in poetry. And it's a narrative about God and his Israelites. We shift the focus from Gomer and Hosea to God and his people. And so Hosea is writing this poetry. And in verse 8, what does he say? He says, the people of Israel, the, the people of God, they fail to realize who, in fact, their provider is. Verse 13, it says, they forget God. And then we switch back in chapter 3 to the story of Hosea and Gomer. It continues. Gomer, at some point in their relationship, has left her husband, and she's taken up with other men. And the process of her unfaithfulness, somehow in the process, has become a slave. We really don't know all the details, but we know is that she's enslaved because of her infidelity. But out of his love, out of his compassion, Hosea redeems her. 
He buys her freedom and he brings her home. This is a foreshadowing of Jesus himself, who is a ransom for you and I, who redeemed us from the bondage of sin. Not because we deserved it, on the contrary, but out of his steadfast, abounding love. I think it's worth noting that the price Hosea pays for Gomer indicates that she is no longer of much value to the one who holds her freedom, to her current master. She's probably no longer young or attractive. She's been used and abused, haggard. She no longer warrants the going price of a slave of this type. Yet Hosea, out of his love and compassion, redeems her. The point of the story is Hosea represents God. And Gomer represents us. I am Gomer. You are Gomer. All we like sheep have gone astray, the scriptures say. Everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. No one is righteous, not even one. We are all gomers. The poetry of Hosea captures the human saga. So when you read it, this is the human dilemma. Chapter 2, verse 20. He says, God is talking. He says, I will betroth you. You see the, the wedding kind of language. I will betroth you in my faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. God is inviting us. God is inviting all of us into this relationship where we know the Lord. The word is yada. And it's a deeper sort of knowing, not knowing about someone, right? You can read about someone. That's nothing like actually knowing someone, Right, It's this beautiful picture of intimacy that God is inviting us into. Yada, to know. It's, it's this connotation of deep physical and emotional intimacy. It's the word that's often used when a man and a woman come together physically. We are constantly being invited to know God, to know God's love. But the warning is sounding throughout the book of Hosea of telling us that, that, yes, we are being invited, but we have this fallen nature. So look at chapter 4. Hopefully you still have Hosea open. Look at verse 6. It says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. We lack the deep knowing of God. Right? And because we don't really know God, we, we don't really follow God. Right? We don't stay on the path with God. We know all about God, but do we actually know God in an intimate, powerful way? The journey of faithfulness in the Christian walk is a journey of growing constantly in your knowledge of God. Right? That, your, that your love would abound more and more, that you would understand the height and width and depth and length of the love of God, that you would become more and more aware of who God is and how God loves you, that you would know him more and more. Look at verse 7, same chapter, verse, chapter 4, verse 7. It says, the more they increase, the more they sinned against me. This is like a, a bright yellow warning sign. Be careful when you prosper. Because in your prosperity, if you're not intentional in your prosperity, it can lead to pride, right? It can lead to this idea of being self-sufficient and you become complacent. It produces the illusion that you did this for yourself. 
And the scriptures are pretty clear that God is opposed to the proud. The reminder as writing this was the king, Nebuchadnezzar. You remember the story? He stands on the roof after his great conquests and building this kingdom. He stands on the roof and he says, look at all that I've done. And in the next breath, the scripture says he is insane, crawling on his hands and knees, eating grass. Because God opposes the proud. And the warning of Hosea is don't give yourself too much credit. Everything you have is a gift from God. Amen. Chapter 6 is this passionate plea. Return to me. Return to me. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, chapter 6 says, Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Hosea is saying, look, your love, it, it, it's fickle. It fades quickly. What I love about this is both the dew in the morning, it's real, right? You can see it. You can feel it. Or the cloud in the sky, you can see it. It is real. It's really there. But by the time afternoon comes, it's gone, we do our morning devotionals and we're all fired up and we love God. But by the afternoon, we're waving our finger out the window of our car. Right? Our love fades. It's part of the human condition that we need to be aware of. Chapter 13, verse 6. Talking about the people. When they had grazed, when they had become full, they were filled and their hearts were lifted up. And therefore, they forgot me. <coughs> We, the people of God, Grace Community Church, corporately and individually, we are prone to forget. Over and over and over in the scriptures, it says, remember. Remember my mighty hand. Remember all I've done. Why does he keep telling us to remember? Because we continually forget. We forget the power of God in our lives. We forget the hand of God. We forget who our provider really is. As a country, we're prone to forget. Listen to the words written 160 years ago by Abraham Lincoln when he established a national day of prayer. And as I read this, what I want you to, to hear are the echoes of Hosea. The echoes of, of the fallen human condition. Again, this is the writing of Abraham Lincoln when he established the National Day of Prayer and Fasting. It says, and insomuch as we know that, by his divine law, nations like individuals are subjected to punishment and chastisement in this world. May we not justify, justly fear that the awful calamity of the Civil War which now desolates the land, may be but a punishment. Inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sin, to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth and power, as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten our God, we have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace 
and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined, listen to this, we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all of these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then, I like that word, behooves, it behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offending power, to confess our national sin, to pray for the clemency and forgiveness. We have forgotten our God. We forgot who gives us breath in our lungs. We forget who our provider is. We forget the reality that is without Jesus, nothing else really matters. And Hosea is making it clear. We are most at risk. Listen, church, we are most at risk when things are good. In seasons of prosperity, how quickly we become self-deceived in our self-sufficiency and we forget. If you read the book of Hosea, you're going to see that they've uh, aligned themselves with Egypt and they've aligned themselves with Assyria and they are proud of those alliances and they believe those alliances are the very thing that are going to save them when in fact it's Assyria that rolls in and wipes them out. They've betrayed the one who loves them most. There's a warning that sounds throughout the minor prophets. And as you read the minor prophets, it's going to be very easy for you, easy for me, to say to ourselves, how could those people be so dull? How could they be so deceived? How could they be so dumb after all they've seen? You read the Exodus story and how quickly the people turn on God and it's so easy to say, how could they just saw all of those miracles. They just saw the, the Red Sea open up. How could they be so dull? But that's not the question to ask. The question is, how am I just like them? The warning 300 years ago, 3,000 years ago, are the same warnings for you and for me. Now, I'm guessing a lot of you are thinking, this is not a very good love story. <laughs> but it is. Like all of us who go astray, Gomer finds herself in a world of pain and suffering. She's unable to save herself. She's turned her back on her true love. In the process, she's fallen into slavery. Her life is not her own. Her situation is, is, is dire. All of it is a result of, of her decisions. You get that right? It's so easy for us to say she gets what she deserves. Her pain and suffering are all because she made these terrible choices. But Isaiah looks for her. He pursues her. He finds her and he redeems her. And he gives her back her dignity and he loves her and he restores her. Not because she deserved it, on the contrary, but out of his steadfast love. Gomer extends radical grace, unmerited favor, steadfast love. Gomer falls away because she didn't really know. Like, yada, no. 
Hosea. She failed to recognize that the safest place and the best place was in the arms of the one who loved her most. But the hero arrives, right? Hosea. And Hosea and Gomer are reunited. Gomer's story is our story. The one who loves you most comes looking. And he finds you and he redeems you. And he sets you free. I think way too often... God gets the blame for the bad in the world and sin and Satan seem to get a free pass. Right? It's true, Gomer's predicament is because of the decisions she made. Right? Sometimes we are in a world of hurt and we're shaking our fist at God as if, 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 if we didn't know that, that the decisions we were making were going to bring about the pain. Sin always has a cost. But God is looking. And he's calling. And he's ready to welcome you home. Throughout, this, throughout Hosea, throughout all of the minor prophets, you're going to see the word, return to me. Return, O Israel. Return to God. Return to the Lord. And that's the cry this morning. Return to me. Cast away anything that holds you back. Cast away anything that hinders you and keeps you from taking hold of the one who loves you most. God was so passionately in love with you that he sent his only son to die for you, to pay the price, to redeem you from the slavery of sin. The cry of the minor prophets, the cry of Hosea is return to me, the one who loves you most. If you still have Hosea open, I want you to turn to the very last verse in Hosea. This is Hosea 14, verse 9. Look at what it said. It says, whoever is wise. How many of you want to be wise? This isn't a trick question. We should all raise our hands to this one, right? Who doesn't want to be wise? Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. What things? The things we just talked about, the book of Hosea. He says, if you're wise, understand what I am writing. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right and the upright walk in them. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray that we would be wise. That we would hear the words of Hosea. That we would comprehend this beautiful love story. That we would know that this is our story that we would grow in our knowledge of you, our yada knowing. We would know how high and wide and deep is the love of God. That our love would abound more and more as we know you. Lord, I pray for the people who are in this room, the people who are listening online, who are, who are holding on to something that's, that's keeping them from taking hold of you. They're clinging to worthless idols and forfeiting the grace that you have for them. Lord, I pray this morning that they would release their grip, that they would embrace the one who loves them more than they can even fathom. Lord, I pray that we would heed the warnings of our fickle nature, our, our, our common problems of forgetting and becoming self-sufficient, and that we would become fully dependent on you, that we would recognize that you are the giver 
of everything good that we have in our lives, that we would praise you and worship you through that. Help us to be the people you've called us to be. Use the words of the minor prophets to call us back to you in a powerful way, to repent where repentance is necessary. Help us to embrace you, the one who loves us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hey, I want to invite you to join us next week as we jump into another wild story. One with a big fish and some guy, you know that one, Jonah. I th- maybe I'll just show the VeggieTales version. Maybe you should watch VeggieTales version of Jonah this week. <laughs> Come back and see how accurate it was when I preach on it. But we're going to do Jonah next week. God bless you. Love you to be here. If you need prayer, there's a number on your screen uh, that you can call and then somebody will put you into a prayer appointment. If you need prayer down here, we have people that can meet with you and pray for you. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of the Minor Prophets. You're welcome.